This episode of our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is one of the world's leading XR companies. Over the past 12 years, they've won numerous awards for memorable campaigns. They've democratized AR by making tools and SDKs that anyone can use. And they created Zapbox, the world's most affordable mixed reality headset. Most recently, Zapper worked with Unilever to create an enhanced QR code called Accessible QR, which enables packaged goods to speak to the blind and partially sighted. If you're thinking XR, give the team at Zapper a call or visit Zapper.com to see how they can help you on your XR journey. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to This Week in XR. It is Friday, October 13th, and apparently we had some Friday the 13th uh, bugaboos in our uh, world. I'm just admitting your partner, Maroon Darren, uh, into the uh, into the the four with us here. Uh, so we're a little late getting started. Uh, so normally, uh, as the listeners know from around the world, which is, continues to grow, uh, we cover the news uh, with Roni, uh, Charlie, and I before we bring in our guests. But because we got a little bit of a late start because of some tech issues this morning, we're going to do it a little differently. Uh, Charlie is off again this week enjoying his well-deserved vacation. So it's me and Roni uh, driving the show. Um, and... Uh, we have Marone and Darren from Inner Cosmos today. And Marone, I've known for quite some time. Roni has known from, for quite some time. We've all been in the mixed reality scrum for many, many years. Uh, so we'll, we'll go a little backwards and talk about your background and then move forward into, into the current venture that you're working on now and how exciting that is. Um, obviously, uh, we will not dwell on this today because it is a technology podcast. Uh, and not a uh, political podcast, but it is important to note and just reflect for a minute that our ties to Israel from everyone on this group are extremely strong. And uh, Israel is a bastion of technology and innovation, and it is very, very uh, stirring and important to us, and we're spending a lot of time on that. So we can take you know, a minute to talk about that if you guys want to reflect on that uh, at all. But from my standpoint, I have tremendous amount of personal friends and work colleagues all over the region. So we're paying close attention to that. Uh, but there's plenty of other places to get that news. Uh, so we will not dwell on that. But Roni, I know you probably have a moment to want to reflect on that today. It would be it would be insensitive for us not to reflect on that for our listeners. Yeah, Ted, I think the the only, only message is uh, we just hope that everyone involved, uh, there will be there will be a, uh, an end to this sort of violence and peace. Um, and there could be so much productivity and wonderful things happening out of that part of the world, uh, which it does a lot. And maybe just a reminder to our audience that I know for myself personally, I know Marone's had that experience. I'm sure, Ted, you have that, you know, we have friends from all sides, right? You could be friends with people from the country you're from or your relatives are from. You could also be friends with, um, you know, Muslims and Palestinians and Arabs and others. So I think it's good to remind everyone, even there was a very horrible war going on, uh, that there are even today way more friendships and good things going on. Uh, and we hope that extremism uh, just moves moves away and, and we can do productive, great things in the world. So that's my take on it today. Totally agree. And, uh, you know, for someone that's been there many, many times, um, the the reflection of what's going on uh, on the on the war front is not a true reflection of the humanity that's actually there between multiple cultures and multiple people outside of those little veins of of the terrorist cells and and of course you know the tremendous toll that they can take 
in, in moments like this is terrible, but your point is very well taken that the real humanity of people connecting to each other of multiple religions, multiple cultures, being there, being in person with that um, is very different than um, this moment in time. So I think that's important. To I will add one more thing, Ted, like this whole week, um, it's just been on, on a very human level thinking about like, you know, the normal jovial discussions we have each week on XR and just the more light and joyful discussions I have throughout the week with all sorts of people. It's been very, very difficult to think about tech, to think about yeah. the fun, cool, creative things we get to build when you're just seeing such horrible, horrifying things happening. Um, so it's just, uh, it's, it's been a very heavy week. So, uh, anyone listening, um, you know, it may not be as light and, and joyful as it usually is, uh, but hopefully it'll, it'll be informative. Yeah. Um, Marone and Darren, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Uh, and if you want to make a short comment on this, I think it's, it's important and relevant because I know you guys have deep ties to that area as well. Uh, but what we will talk about after we talk about the news is your company, Intercosmos, um, which is a brain-computer interface company, which we have a tremendous amount of fascination and a, a healthy amount of skepticism about. I will, I will be very candid around. So we, we want to really dive in. And I think a lot of our listeners will have a good amount of skepticism about this too, which is healthy and important and a good debate and discussion on that is valuable. But please feel free to you know, start sure. us off with any thoughts that you might have. Then we'll dive into this week's news and then we'll, we'll discuss your company. Yeah, I'll get started. Um, as Roni mentioned, you know, uh, really, really sad week in the region. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it, except to say that my heart really goes out to the prisoners, their families, and just um, everyone who, you know, the families of those who passed away last week. Um, it's just a really, and, and both sides that are trapped in between sort of Hamas's uh, doings. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see this as a Palestinian thing. I see this as a Hamas thing and it's just, it's really sad. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, a lot of compassion, a lot of love for, for everyone there. We'll be talking um, that's, about that's it my, in private yeah, settings with friends and family and, and your, your thoughts are absolutely on point. Darren, last word to you, and then we'll dive into, uh, something other than that for, for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to add that this has been a very sad week. I feel bad for people, badly for people on both sides. Um, a small percentage of the people involved here, Hamas, have caused all of these troubles for Israelis and Palestinians. That is completely unnecessary. And unfortunately, it's going to be messy to clean it up. And I wish I wish both parties on both sides the best going forward and hope for peace in the near future. I think we all appreciate that and echo that. And uh, now we're going to sort of kick into our world of this week's innovation news and things that are happening. Some really interesting stuff that's going on. Uh, the last word I'll say on that is that the interesting thing about Israeli culture is that strong level of innovation that permeates through so much. If you do a little research into the things that came out of that little stretch of desert over the last 50 years, it has really changed the, the world of technology. They're probably the most innovative place on the planet and, and, and innovative culture on the planet. And I had uh, some of our work colleagues that are in Tel Aviv, we had a big Zoom meeting with them this week, and it was business as usual. They are all about keeping moving on and, and pressing on. And that was uh, really encouraging. So, okay. I just have to say something on that. Um, I, I work with a lot mm -hmm. of uh, 
startups, um, have my own startups, but I work with a lot of startups around the world. I have a startup friend in Israel. As we're talking, there's a there's basically a rocket raid. He keeps the Zoom going yep. and is in the bomb shelter without missing a beat, no wavering in his voice, still optimistic. Um, and he's like, it's just, you know, I'm like, you know, do you want us to stop? He's like, no, 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 let's keep going. Um, and I spoke to another friend this morning and he was in a, in a very similar situation, kind of in a, a bit of a shelter and um, just very like, you know, nothing, nothing is going to stop moving forward. They're not going to stop life. So. Right. We had the exact same experience on our side. Anyway, right? back to our show. Okay. So, um, and Roni, for some reason, your video is a little uh, choppy and slow today, but your audio is coming in fine. Most people listen to the podcast for, uh, for Maron and, and Darren's um, 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 perspective. So it's, it's not that big a deal, but your voice is coming in fine, Roni. So not sure why you're probably just more Friday the 13th uh, drama. Uh, and anyway, all right. So welcome back again to This Week in XR. Um, a couple of things on the news front to talk about and go through. Uh, the Unity CEO um, has uh, left the company. John Ricciatello, I'm probably not pronouncing that name exactly right, announced his retirement from this giant multi-billion dollar gaming company that went IPO um, about three years ago. Uh, spiked up really high, has settled down into kind of a trough a little bit. Um, they, Unity just recently laid off 600 people. Uh, as we know, Epic just laid off around 900 people. Um, so that's about 10% of both of those companies' workforces. Um, uh, Resitilio is leaving the board. Um, so that may suggest that it was not his idea to leave, but they attempted a different economic model, which you probably all know about and caused a big fervor amongst, amongst developers. They retreated back from that, but clearly the, um, the, 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 the fallout from that is significant and, uh, and not particularly um, happy. So, so Ted, right? a direct, uh, Ted, direct comment on that. Like I, I, I met the, you know, some of the founders of Unity early on when I was building Magic Leap. Um, we were partners with uh, Unity when John came on board. I think if you look at what happened, um, there's a huge importance of like the Unreal Engine and also the Unity Engine across developers for XR, uh, and and mobile and and PC all over the world, right? It's used by millions of developers. But I don't think I don't think on the engine side, if you take Fortnite away, that ever translated into a real scalable critical mass business, even though it's so important, just mm -hmm. kind of odd, right? And I think Epic has the 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 I guess temporary luxury of having a hit game on their hands. But if you take that revenue away, it's a very different looking company. I think Unity. Um, there was a lot of belief that somehow this was this key engine to unlocking the metaverse. That was one. But I think the real stumble was just alienating and and aggravating all of the love Unity developers had for the company in the last weeks and months. I mean, it was such an uproar, which you you know you knew this was going to happen because how do you how are you so disconnected from your developers? Right, and understand. Right? I think when you're, when you're so disconnected. Yeah, but the, the the economics are one thing, but if you just don't have that understanding with your developer and community base who really loved Unity, right. um, something had to happen. And I think this is like, I guess, the appeasement and hopefully a reset of that company, which I know a lot of developers love and depend on, but they were very, um, the way it went about and how it all happened, um, I think it's a good signal for anyone building a platform with an ecosystem, stay in contact with your developers. 
uh, very hard lessons for a lot of people, right. um, but especially one that had millions of developers that count on it every day, uh, who just thought of it as their bread and butter, and this like disrupted their lives. And uh, I hope they bring someone in who can, uh, you know, hear that message and and make it make it right, and still build a successful company. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and to that point, like a friend of mine is becoming the interim CEO. <laughs> oh, is he? I was oh, going to say yeah. a friend of mine is becoming the interim CEO. I don't know if. It's yeah, but I don't know if it's announced. I'm not going to say who it is, but I, I do know who's becoming the 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 acting person. So no, we'll I think it is announced. I don't know if it's confirmed. It's James Whitehurst who was the CEO of Red Hat um, on yep. the Linux side. So uh, yes, we'll see how that that culture starts yep, to propagate. Jim. The whole uh, Linux has been through there, up, down, and sideways. If you're listening, Jim, we're rooting for you. <laughs> um, well, so a lot of respect to David Elgison who started this. I remember early on at Meta, you know coding the first demos of the thing. Um, and it was just so friendly and so easy um, that, you know, it's, it's it, it just as Ronnie said, shows how critical it is to stay in touch with developers and really feel them. Um, so yeah, rooting, still rooting for Unity. You know, when they announced uh, that they were gonna, you know, be connected with Apple I th and their latest launches, I thought this is the next chapter and, and they'll succeed and, um, you know, and I still hope they do. Yeah, well, and to that end, uh, talking about you know how to be connected to that community, I think the Unreal folks, while it's tricky times for them, are doing their best to communicate that. Uh, and Tim Sweeney, I was at the Unreal conference last week or a week, two weeks ago, and Tim Sweeney was very, very overt and and very real about you know talking about the success of his company, X amount of million of, of years ago, pre-pandemic, worth you know, doing hundreds of millions of business, then Fortnite explodes onto the scene. Now they're doing billions in business. Uh, and now to your point, Roni, Fortnite is not, while it's still very successful and a lot of people are playing it, it is not at the height of its success or user engagement. So they're spending more money than they're taking in and they had to react to that before things got really dire. Uh, and so to that end, they're also changing their business model to folks like like me and the company I work for uh, that work in the media entertainment space and the and the sort of gaming ancillary space to drive revenue streams as opposed to just this sort of give it all away and try and make it up on the back end, which is what they do on the gaming interactive side. So there's a lot more to come on that. We'll see. By the way, Ted, there's a little, little bit of XR spatial computing uh, uh, trivia for our listeners, but Marone, who is the CEO of Intercosmos, that so we're going to talk to him and Darren a little bit was also the founder and CEO of one of, of a rival company to my company, Magically, yes. for a while. And his company is called Meta. Yes. And if you think about that, um, our friend Mark Zuckerberg loved the name so much, he rebranded Facebook to Meta. Yes. Um, which basically was yes. was uh, Marone's original company. So yes. uh, just a little Marone bit of trivia for the listeners. And uh, we have a yeah, we're going to dive into that in about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes, but Marone gets a huge amount of credit for recognizing where the world was heading and, and his device. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. So let's keep going with the news and then we'll talk about it. Uh, speaking of devices Thank that you, you wear in your head, uh, the MetaQuest 3 uh, has been released. You can order them. Uh, some of them are shipping and they're going to be shipping waves of them. Um, as expected by a lot of us that track this business very closely, two things have happened. The reviews on the device are excellent. They keep making more progress for from a price performance delivery device that you know starts at $500 let's say the average user price is going to spend between 6 and $700 to get the one with more storage and a and a better strap on it um so you know well under $1000 the device uh does 
relatively good true color mixed reality uh, uh video mixed reality which we can talk about because you guys were both in the belief that that is not the future and i'm and i'm a big believer of that that pass through is a more important tool set but to bring costs down and to make something commercially viable they're doing what apple is doing right now which is video pass through um but the quest 3 is smaller more nimble actually technically believe it or not slightly heavier than a quest 2 but because the standoff of the device is less in front of your face the pull down effect the perceived weight is less so wearing it at the conference and being doing some development with it it is very very comfortable to wear um, and i think they're on the right track i think they learned a lot from their misses on the quest pro took the good things about it, incorporated it into the Quest 3, are selling it at a price point that they believe people can afford. That's all on the positive side. There are lots of reviews on all the tech blogs, TechCrunch, the um, uh, CNET and Engadget, et cetera, that are commenting very similar to my uh, experience with it and having done a number of uh, mixed reality gaming and, and, and entertainment experiences on it. Um, it uses the, the next-gen Qualcomm chipset, which we're going to talk about that news in a minute, which is breaking news. So even a lot of our listeners may not know this because this is just really just hot off the presses. Um, but better graphics across the board on a Quest 3. And if you look at some of the popular apps like the Golf Plus VR app that had fairly good graphics on a fully mobile device, you know, without tethering it to a computer or any kind of big graphics card, the new Qualcomm chip does a much, much better job on that. The new graphics coprocessors are doing a better job on that. So things look better, um, which is good. And I got firsthand chance to look at all that. So I'm excited for others to check that out. On the potentially sort of overblown again on people believing that the success of virtual reality is going to go mainstream anytime soon, uh, the rumors are, and I don't know if this is much confirmed, I doubt Meta will ever confirm this, uh, not the original Meta, but on the current Meta, um, that uh, I think they were estimating six, seven million devices being sold this calendar year. I think they're now lowering that, downgrading that to maybe one and a half to two million devices. Um, and we'll have to see how that goes. But I think maybe once the word gets out and people trying it, trying it with their friends, uh, these things will sell fairly well. But we're still not talking about, you know, mainstream gaming PlayStation. That uh, that doesn't surprise me. I see um, Facebook Meta as having a inverse problem to what uh, Roni mentioned with Unity. Uh, whereas with Unity, they were de very de developer focused and gradually disconnected a bit and now seeing the challenges there. Um, Quest and, and that, that platform actually did a good job of connecting with developers and opening up tool sets really nicely. Um, their hardware is evolving nicely. Um, I, I think the challenge that they're facing is a, a bit of a disconnection from the consumer market and the use cases that could drive adoption as well as user interface paradigms that I think could scale. Um, those have always been my mantra at Meta was this thing has to be zero learning curve or really easy to use because in order to really harness the power of spatial computing um, and that there needs to be sort of a set of killer apps or at least one that could drive the cost of the, of the platform. That's not been an exception in any successful platform in history. So. Um, these are the things that neither Facebook nor Apple, I think, are doing a lot of innovation on right now. And um, those that really want to win the market, I feel like, need to start doing that. Um, of course, the developer community is really critical to harness at this point. Um, so I would just look at how they can do both at the same time. Yeah, good comment. Um, okay, so our last news story, there's a few others, but I, I want to get to you guys. The last news story that I think is important to cover is a couple weeks ago uh, at the Meta Conference, they also announced their second gen uh, 
Ray-Ban smart glasses in the partnership with a large Italian company, um, Luxottica. Um, and the new devices, the second gen devices are very much second gen. They are better than the first in many ways. Uh, but there is competition in the market for those type of devices. And this week's news was that Carrera, for, for those of you that are old enough to remember the, the age of the, uh, the Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, Don Simpson movies, uh, and all the stars wearing these Carrera sunglasses in their Porsches and the, the sort of Miami Vice age of sunglasses, Carrera is that company that makes those sunglasses of that style, also Italian company. They are doing a set of smart glasses with very similar features to what uh, the Meta Ray-Ban partnership is um, using Amazon Alexa. Uh, so that'll be a little bit of a competitive space. Um, you know, voice recognition using the Alexa um, uh, system, which of course is fairly robust and a lot of people use it around the world. Um, and, you know, we'll see if they are going to be competing head to head on the computer vision um, the, the spatial awareness stuff, uh, but nice to have competition because as much as Ray-Bans are sort of a staple of the, the sunglass industry, uh, there are a lot of people that want a different sort of style. So uh, that's what that is. Uh, the the Ray-Ban announcement was really good and robust um, at the Meta Conference a few weeks ago. I think it was on the highlights. Uh, and we'll see what Carrera comes up with. Also, uh, the Italian sub-companies underneath this. There's two Italian very large eyewear companies going at this now. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, any comments yeah. on that? And then we'll move on. Um, I think that's, you know, Facebook's ultimate uh, card. If they can really create a warm partnership with, um, with Ray-Ban, which, you know, it appeared, Luxottic, it appears they are, um, then they have at least one part of the big challenge of, of spatial computing solved. The challenge, not from the perspective of this direction, but from the inverse perspective of somebody kind of looking at it and the social acceptance. I remember um, pitching to the CEO of Luxottica almost 10 years ago at this point um, with, with Meta. And it's, it's kind of hilarious to see and, and exciting to see, you know, Meta Ray-Ban, you know, evolving. Um, and so I have a lot of uh, excitement to see where that goes. There you go. Okay, so, so my, my only thought on all that really quick is, um, I think what we have, uh, this is this is sometimes overlooked by all the players in XR. We know the form factor, and we actually have um, two amazing use cases: prescription and sunglasses. So I think what we're waiting for, I think what what when we'll get billions of people using it, is when the tech fits into this form factor one to one. And you also have your prescription and you also have um, your sunglasses and then you have all the millions of apps. I think as we're moving from like a Magic Leap 2 or Apple Vision Pro or, you know, Meta 3, which you could you measure exactly the weight and, and form factor distances of each of those to like your Carreras, your regular Ray-Bans. I think as you deviate from that, you lose population, just lose audience. Um, but I think all of us, especially on this call, can see a day. Maybe if you look at the progress of the tech, maybe it's early 2030s where, where Ted, you're going to wake up, put on this wireless. It will fix your eyes. You'll see at night, you'll have your sunglasses, you'll have your entire app world. That system I think is the one that billions of people will use. And like every, every time we take a step closer, you gain more audience. Um, and by the way, this is, you and I've had this discussion and, and, you know, not really a debate for years, but that's why I think that the move towards video pass through does not take you there. Right. right. It's like the seawater move. It takes you in a different direction. The one that actually wins billions of people 
is the one where you just go at a straight line and solve all the problems to make that vision real. Um, and I think that will happen. I think we, you know, both Marun and I know that it'll happen. We've seen technical progress as possible. Um, but I, hopefully companies will have the will to go all the way there because the, the one that unlocks that, it's it's going to be bigger than Apple computers is today. You unlock that key, it's the biggest key in computing. Uh, maybe next And a big AI. kudos to, to you, Roni, for sort of uh, focusing on form factor early on and really trying to shrink that while maintaining really high quality product. Um, so, you know, at Meta, we tried to create uh, the eye contact that was very important for us. Um, and it's nice to see Apple trying to bring that into video pass through in this interesting way. Um, so as Rennie says, I mean, that's the form factor that it needs to get to. Everyone knows this. Um, so it's about what's the fastest sort of vector there. Um, and how do you, how do you stay consistent on that? And, uh, we'll see. Right. And our, and our last thing, I promised some breaking news and this, uh, to, to both, uh, Marone and, and Roni's comments on effectively the one step forward, one step back, uh, situation of technology, our friends at Qualcomm, which is a very large company, mostly based out of San Diego, deep Southern California is laying off, uh, over 1200 jobs, uh, which is, I think the first time in a very long time that they've been constricting back down. They have over 50,000 employees worldwide. So that's, it's a very large company. That's so roughly that's a little over 2% of their workforce that they'll be laying off. Um, so most of those over a thousand, I guess, will be out of their San Diego office, um, a couple hundred out of the Santa Clara offices and some of the other remote offices. Uh, the job cuts effectively will be mid December. So that's that pre holiday, unfortunate, uh, for them, but you know, Qualcomm's quite a good and big company, so I'm sure their severance packages will be healthy enough to get them through the holidays. But regardless, we have very close ties to Qualcomm. We are connected to them almost daily. They have very close ties to Israel in many, many ways. Um, and um, that's an interesting sort of also telling sign of you know device adoption, device use case, and where the market of all these different devices are sitting um, right now. So that's the Qualcomm news. It literally just came out uh, probably early this morning. Um, so we don't have a lot more information on that. Uh, but, you know, the, the company, I think, talks about macroeconomic climate, right? Um, so we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that. We'll probably talk about that in weeks to come. Uh, and lastly, and this pro will probably dovetail into your world, gentlemen, um, the, the AI stuff <laughs> in all of its forms is now getting a voice, as we would say. Uh, so the latest... Uh, sort of news cycles are uh, many of the big AI players, and I'm going to not talk about this much because I want to get into your world, are starting to use voice uh, bi-directionally so you can have a voice chat with your AI, which is, of course, causing all kinds of interesting discussions about AI girlfriends and boyfriends and social contracts and things changing. Um, and it may lead us, uh, and feel free to, to comment on that, uh, Roni or Darren or Maron, um, into uh, what you guys are doing at Intercosmos. Uh, and let's probably get a level set on your company as it stands now. Then let's go back in time a little bit, talk about the original meta mixed reality device, which was remarkable in many ways. I used it many times in, in its cycles at various shows and sort of uh, private development work and, you know, had early development units in our, in our worlds for me working in the studio. So uh, if you want to, what we often sometimes do when Charlie and Roni and I get into this is we go to third base before we start at first base. So it's important to maybe just give a little history of the company as it stands now, your background, your legacy, and then we can get into it a little bit, talk about some of the questions. Absolutely, I'd be happy to. 
Um, yeah, so essentially, I, I actually am one of uh, one of the people that come from that strip of desert you mentioned earlier. Um, right. In when I had to do my uh, mandatory service, I was in the special technology unit of the intelligence corps, building gadgets for for use cases uh, you can imagine. And then later on, went to Columbia and studied computer science and neuroscience. Realized the computer was a brain, and the brain is a computer. At least this is what my thesis. And that one day they're going to merge and my career became about trying to predict the market forces and events that would lead to that um and meta was the first you know uh i imagined a, a more natural computing experience than us looking into these pixelated uh, uh screens trying to uh, you know infer sort of social uh, gestures and things why not just be sitting holographically in the room together and looking at this brain chip that I'm going to show you in a minute. So that became sort of a vision of, of natural computing. Um, and I wanted to put it in the brain and I still do. And I believe it's going there. Um, and, uh, but 50, 10, 15 years ago when, when these original inventions happened, it was like, what's the best possible thing we can do now with the current price performance. And so we brought it, we tried to bring it as close as possible to the brain. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit of, uh, my, and then Meta was formed, um, obviously, and uh, I could what talk a little bit about frame? that. What, what years did Meta start? When did it end up that you ended up having to close up shop? The market quite, wasn't quite ready for it. The technology that you were doing was certainly, between you and Roni, really, you know, pioneering the idea of a pass-through mixed reality device. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, right. It was 20, uh, 2012 through 2019. Interesting. So there's a... There's a, a, a almost a seven year run of and, and in those days, it must have just been incredibly difficult to find market traction, to find investment, to I mean, I'm sure you were just on this constant convincing tour for your life that this is going to be important someday. And, and the form factor will not always be what it is today. This is a step in the equation, right? Yeah, well, it, it certainly it was an amazing journey when uh that I took a lot of take-home messages and learnings from and applied them on this new company, Intercosmos, um, that I'd be happy to share a little bit about as well. Right. So that's the journey now. Now, you know, certainly our listeners like good, salacious stories and anything that makes them smile and, and sort of, you know, anything on the entrepreneurial drama front. So is there any insights, anything that you can tell us about the sort of your sort of end of the first real meta journey and then how the Facebook sort of absconded that name. Was there anything that, that our listeners might find fun and amusing in, 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 a, in, and maybe even you do now in retrospect, I'm sure at the time it was probably frustrating. Well, I mean, Ron, Ronnie said it at uh, earlier, um, the company was sold to a private equity fund that sold it to Facebook. Right. And now uh, the visions that were articulated back then, you know, on stages publicly, sort of that one day somebody was gonna wear a meta Ray-Ban type glass became, is now becoming literalized um, in one of the largest uh, pivots in technological human history. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see where this is going. Um, as I come back home to home base, which for me has always been neuroscience, mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, uh, and finally, the price performance of technology is such that um, I believe uh, millions and soon billions of people could actually adopt uh, neurotechnology. And I'm going to ratiocinate that today. Um, and yeah, so the journey then after that, that happened, I, uh, I met Eric, uh, Dr. Eric Luthart, um, who um, 
was actually Ed Boyden, one of the top three neuroscientists in the world out of MIT. Uh, I met him. Actually, Sam Altman invited me when I was fundraising for, for Meta Series B to uh, Yuri Milner's house for a uh, premiere of a little TV show called uh, that, that he didn't tell me what it was. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fundraising, man. In retrospect, that's absurd um, to, to say no to Sam Altman, but who knew what that would turn into. Um, and so, and, and then he said, well, Ed Boyden's going to be presenting and keynoting. And I would have been a fan, a geek fanboy of, of Ed's work forever. So I said, okay, I'll be right there. I zoomed up to Yuri's house and it turned out to be the premiere of the uh, TV show Westworld, the HBO show Westworld. And all the actors were there and it was the most surreal day of my life. One of the top uh, few, you know, um, and, and one, one of the outcomes of it was that inner cosmos, um, you know, was discussed with uh, Ed Boyden and Ed connected me later on to Eric Luthart, uh, who is the, one of the leading neurosurgeons in the country, uh, pioneer of laser neurosurgery and other things. Um, and together we, we eventually um, a few years later realized that this is um, ready for the market um, in, in the mental health world. Um, and, uh, and we came together with Susan Alpert, who's is the head of the FDA device approvals division, she joined us. And uh, later, uh, Dr. Darren Doherty, who's here on the line from Harvard MGH, um, who implanted the most number of patients, uh, as, as far as we, I know, um, globally for, for mental health with um, devices that are semi-invasive. Um, and we came together and we said, you know, how can we build the absolute best uh, a piece of neurotechnology or, or, or colloquially a brain chip uh, for, for the largest chronic disease in the world, depression. And uh, that's really the story of, of uh, inner cosmos. So that's, so that's where your, your current trajectory is and where you're putting all your efforts. I would, I would be remiss not to give Rhodey a moment because, you know, it's pretty rare to have two titans and pioneers of true pass-through viable mixed reality on to comment on that before we dive into your current state of your efforts uh, and bring Darren into the conversation and talk about what you're doing. So Roni, last word to you on the mixed reality side before we go into what uh, Marone's passion is right now and, and how far he's uh, come with this next piece of the technology world. Well, one thing, it's very interesting that um, Marone has moved from mixed reality to, to deep neurotech. I always thought that the field both he and I were in was a form of neurotech. Uh, and it just felt like a logical step forward. And I actually think there'll be relationships between spatial computing and what he builds in the future too. So I, I think there's something, if you really understand what spatial computing is um, and then what he's building now, they're, they're not like separate things. They're probably cousins. So uh, why, why, don't, why don't we dive into it? So now we'll dive in. Okay, so to start, to start the process, to give everyone that's listening to this podcast around the world a little level set, uh, on some of the basics, how long has the company been in existence? How many people are working on it? What kind of level of fundraising as much as you can share? Where where does the company exist as a business? And what are your uh, aims and goals initially? What are you trying to achieve uh, in, in fairly base terms so people can understand what you're working on? You mentioned implantable things, but we kind of glossed over it. We talked about a lot of stuff. So I think it's important to just spend two or three minutes on giving us the lay of the land. What is your company? How does it exist? What does it do? Sure. Um, so in very much uh, kind of bullet bullets, um, 
our device right now treats uh, the largest mental health disorder, uh, the largest chronic disorder in the world, depression. Um, it is uh, a teeny tiny penny size device that gets slipped under the skin in a 30 minute outpatient procedure. And if a patient is treatment resistant depression, uh, depressed, which means they're the third most severe uh, portion of them of, of, of uh, the depressed uh, world, um, then then they would put it a little bit in the bone, just like a cochlear implant. So they'll shave a little bit of the outer layer of the bone and inset this, this penny device there. Um, and uh, it works in a way that's analogous to a pacemaker sitting over the heart, sensing arrhythmia, stimulating back into rhythm. Um, it turns out that depression unlike what we thought, depression and another, many other uh, mental and cognitive disorders, unlike the, the previous um, hypothesis, which was that it was a chemical disorder recently been debunked, uh, turns out is, is what we call a networkopathy, an imbalance of brain networks, electrical disorder. Um, so within depression, I'm gonna zoom in, give a sentence, and then you'll see how this device works and, and we can move on. Um, there are two brain networks that uh, you, one needs to understand. Um, one of them is a default mode network. Default mode is the network that handles trauma and rumination. So say you get hit by a, a bicycle, um, a car riding a bicycle, um, and you know the memory is gonna be encoded by this intra, intrinsic in, uh, internal network that's focusing on your inner world. And that is where memory is encoded and therefore this trauma. And then the rumination voice, that voice in your head that goes over and over, you know, how I could, how I'll never be in that situation again. And all oh, that bastard that cut me off in traffic and all that. That's when depression starts to get strong when that rumination kicks in and the voice in your head just keeps going. And that starts in that default mode network, stealing resources from the unsung hero of the brain, the second network, cognitive control network that we're now using it to focus on each other and be present with the outside world. If the first network is intrinsic, the second network is extrinsic or uh, processing your outer world, all the good things in our life, we're now using it to focus on each other and learn new things. Um, a meditation session, a good walk on the beach, a discussion with a loved one, that's all the cognitive control network. With patients with depression, they're just, um, one network gets really strong and takes the ability to be present outwardly. So these people are stuck in their head. Um, and uh, that's why it's a very poignant, poignant disorder. And, Darren will double click on that, having having really studied this um, his whole life. Uh, I'll so just end by saying uh, that. Go so ahead. go ahead. I said, let's bring Darren into the conversation since uh, we've been talking a lot. He's been listening and smiling and I know wanting Absolutely. to add into this. So uh, the the device is, is real. Is it in clinical trials? Is it you have one in front of right for, here. <laughs> for the small amount of people that are uh, sitting and watching it on, on a YouTube channel as opposed to a podcast. Um, so it's a it's a it's a little bit bigger. The one that goes into the, under the skin uh, around the brain is looks like the size of kind of a Panasonic watch battery kind of thing that would go into a lot of devices. It's right? two stack pennies. Yep. Right. It's exactly that size. And it sits over the cognitive control network, the network that gets weakened. And like a pacemaker will sense arrhythmia, we're sensing when your baseline goes way down below normal. And then we're stimulating it back into balance. And uh, this device, while the form factor is incredibly novel and tiny and, and sort of advanced, is based on uh, 20 plus years of research and stimulation in this exact spot for this exact disorder. 
Um, so I think unlike other uh, claims in BCI right now, this is really um, kind of hinging on a lot of uh, well-understood science, a science that folks like Darren have been accruing for decades. Um, and I'll, I'll pass the mic to Darren to add or, or modify anything I, I have, I've said. Great, this is fascinating conversation, you guys, and thanks for having me today. So I'm Darren Doherty. I'm a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital. I've been there next year will be 30 years, which is hard to believe. Um, I specialize in mood disorders and anxiety disorders. In addition to my specialty in treating patients with mood disorders, I also direct a division at Mass General, the Division of Neurotherapeutics. It's really an embedded neurotech division uh, within the department. And as division chief, I oversee all surgical and or device related treatments for psychiatric, psychiatric illness. So that includes some old standbys like ECT or electroconvulsive therapy, which has been around for 100 years. We also have a TMS service that's transcranial magnetic stimulation. We do vagus nerve stimulation, which is a surgically implantable device to treat depression. Uh, we've been involved with deep brain stimulation trials for psychiatric disorders. Uh, DBS is now approved by the FDA for OCD. Uh, I was a senior author on the failed Medtronic trial for treatment-resistant depression, uh, although that's being revisited. So I've been involved with neurotech. I also was a PI of a DARPA project called Subnets uh, to develop uh, brain-computer interface treatments for disorders vets come home with. So I've done a lot of report, read and write from the brain, read and write studies, um, and have a number of patents for neuroalgorithms. So I've been involved. What's in your What's your decade. role at What's your role at Inter Intercosmos? So you take all that, and, and also decades. if you can talk about the successful uh, uh, ECOG trial for depression, I think that'll frame the discussion moving forward. Please. Yeah, I'll try to address both of those. So we another thing that we did that I didn't mention is we also did a cortical electrode on the brain surface at the TMS target. It was implanted uh, subdurally, uh, epidurally, so in, in, inside the skull, but above the brain surface to deliver electrical stimulation, you know, with a wire connecting the pacemaker on the chest so that we could deliver stimulation and showed very promising results. And a lot of what Intercosmos is doing is replicating that, but with a much more sophisticated device that doesn't have to go through the skull. And as Marone said, it really is, it's kind of like where the target is. It's really kind of physical therapy for the cognitive control network muscle. It's going to basically uh, push that up. So the, the, and then the second question, how I got involved in Intercosmos, um, they found me, thank goodness. Uh, I'm very excited about this, this approach, but I, you know, they were aware of the work we had done and our longstanding collaboration with in psychiatry with neurosurgery and neurology at Mass General and our experience in doing device trials, including implantable devices. And so when I heard of this product and got to take a look at it, I was very excited and I've now uh, accepted position and working as the chief medical officer for Intercosmos. And I'm really excited about moving forward with this. So would I be more correct or more incorrect if I use the term transducer, that this is sort of a, like you talked about much more invasive ways of once you got a sense of what was really going on in the brain for people that were really suffering from the, the most severe forms of clinical depression that couldn't be treated by uh, some sort of drug therapy or, or um, psychological therapy, uh, therapy 
like I, you know, I'm a, a fan of all things Vegas nerd. Let's, let's take this on a lighter note. I know a little <laughs> bit about what singing does uh, too, as you can probably see in my background, I have a lot of guitars in my world. I am sort of a closet singer and guitar player. Roni is also deep into music. Charlie, our other uh, co-host is deep into music. And just the idea of, of activating your body uh, bling, brings pleasantry to your life, which is why people that sing tend to be happy uh, or tend to be happier. So, and, and the idea of I've seen over the many years um, that quite invasive situations in terms of trying to solve this when there was no other course of action. So this is something that is wireless, easier tolerated, easier implanted, and probably has a pathway to a much larger patient base. Is that correct? So, yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm in the trenches treating people with depression, so I want to get them well. Mm -hmm. But then it's how do we do that? And this, I think, because it's small, it doesn't require going through the skull, it's wireless, um, it's portable, the patient can take it with them at home, and the prescriptions are done digitally over an iPhone. I think this is truly scalable. We're not going to be doing, uh, deep brain stimulation has saved lots of people's lives in psychiatric illness, but in terms of scalability, it's a pretty big deal to have electrodes implanted deep inside your brain. Sure. Here we've demonstrated that we can deliver electrical stimulation parameters that should be effective for depression through the skull in animal studies. And also our first, in, we do have a first in human a proof of concept completed. So we're in humans, which is also, uh, I think, pretty impressive for, the, for a young company. But we've really demonstrated we can deliver what we need to deliver for therapeutic benefit in the least invasive way with the best form factor. Really and I think that ultimately will translate to scalability. And it sounds mm -hmm. like, uh, Marone, you and maybe Roni, you want to talk about this too. It sounds like you're working on taking advantage of this broad term we call IoT, right? That allows things that go into the medical world, which of course require very different compliance and levels of study and, and provability and safety, but taking advantage of the fact that you're imp implanting a wireless device uh, very close to someone's brain center that's going to have a very deep and you, you can recognize a real effect on this. So... Um, it's one of the fascinating things about, you know, the Internet of Things is that this thing gives us all kinds of interesting uh, sort of advantages, right, which you can track it. And like I know from personal experience, I wore something called a Zeo patch recently because of some heart stuff that I was dealing with, which is effectively an IoT device on my chest that was feeding information back to the doctor via the Internet. Um, mm -hmm. So it sounds similar to that, right? I imagine there's some capabilities that you can track remotely, Mura. Yeah, absolutely. So I started kind of showing the form factor. Maybe that'll ground the answer. Um, so if this device here, the digital pill, it's about the size of a pill, um, a little bit thinner, gets embedded under the skin. Um, and then there's a larger quarter size device called the prescription, the psychiatric prescription pod. Um, this, from the comfort and discretion of your home when you're having a coffee in the morning, gets snapped magnetically over the hair. And what that does is it pulls the data from the implant, sending it to the psychiatrist so that so both you and the psychiatrist can see your depression graph, your mood graph, which is in and of itself quite novel. That has not, there have not been accurate enough biomarkers in our space to date. So um, that's one thing that I think can really help patients. And then the psychiatrist can modify the prescription, can sort of pick on their side from a set of FDA approved prescriptions, send them back to your pod. The prescription will have safety bounds, how many times you can use it, uh, at what you know intensity and frequency, um, uh, et cetera. 
and therefore I think it can can ultimately be safer than than pharma. Um, and the prescription pod will then send it to the implant, and then you're done after you know 20 minutes of that a day. You have your little sort of AirPod-like case that you'll have two of these, so you can go out to the desert for a couple of days and just um, and and have your therapy. Um, analogous therapies, transcranial magnetic stimulation, has a whopping 80% efficacy, which in a medical device is almost science fiction. That's like, in comparison, it's about three, 400% more efficacious than drugs uh, for treatment resistant depression. Um, and I think actually, before we go any deeper into the product, it is worth talking about the person that we're trying to help and kind of like who these folks are and, and what, uh, what, what their life is like. So, um, it's it's because that's ultimately what's going to dictate the success of this kind of a product presuming the science that darren has been doing for decades is is on point and it is it really is about the market so to understand that there's about 260 million folks with depression before covid that about doubled so it was the largest chronic disorder in the world before covid and then it doubled um and then out of that, a third of the patients don't react to two courses of antidepressants. They're what we call treatment resistance. So there's over 100 million of them. And in the US, 5.7 million people. Um, and some of these folks are in the darkness for decades. And it, it is really calcified, severe depression where you're stuck in your head, unable to feel and process emotions and, and outward um, stimuli quite, quite as effectively. And it's a really, it's what the World Health Organization considers the most debilitating disorder in the world. Uh, you can be a, a cancer patient, you know, even a terminal cancer patient with a positive outlook on life. By definition, you cannot do that with treatment resistant depression. So that's why uh, WHO considers this the most debilitating disorder. And for these folks, there's really no solution. Drugs don't work. Um, there's TMS, this refrigerator sized device. There's another refrigerator sized device called electric shock. Electric shock therapy from 100 years ago induces a seizure in your whole prefrontal cortex. It's by metaphor like pressing the force reset button on your computer, force resetting your networks into balance, but it comes with a host of side effects, amnesia, personality changes that are long lasting, and, and just the ick factor of plugging yourself into the wall, um, you know, five days in a row in the hospital is enough to make this only used by about a, out of the 5.7 million folks, only about 125,000 uh, people a year. Uh, so just a couple percent. And then that's a hundred year old technology. 30 years ago, TMS was created to be a little bit more friendly. Um, and it's magnetically pulsing to, this, to the exact spot we're simulating. Um, and it doesn't have really the side effects of electric shock therapy. And it has almost double the efficacy. Electric shock is about 50%, which is a lot for treatment resistant. TMS is now showing 80% efficacy. And there's a challenge. Um, only 60,000 people are using TMS. You may ask why, if it's less side effects and more efficacy. The answer is because of a compliance issue, big problem. You have to go to the doctor 20 days in a row to get TMS's oh, right. uh, efficacy. So that starts a downward spiral that most people can't get through it. Yeah, yeah. Even healthy, you know, adults going to imagine going 20 days in a row to the doctor without missing one appointment. Imagine these folks are the least motivated patient population on the planet. Getting out of bed in the morning is difficult right. for them, which really killed the TMS industry. And so what we have done is we said, okay, TMS works. It's stimulating in the right way. We know the stimulation parameters that work. The only challenge is, you know, compliance and access. So why don't we miniaturize this thing uh, to the size of a penny? 
make it really minimally invasive, 30 minutes to embed. And then you have a TMS in your, in your, in your head for the rest of your life. Your depression is managed kind of on your iPhone. Um, and we think that is going to completely revolutionize the way that these patients live and, and, and really we're here to help them. And, and it's pretty, it's great. Pretty I mean, it's incredibly admirable. These things, uh, take, you know, really difficult roads, years and years to develop. It sounds like you're making really good progress. We're kind of coming up on our sort of wrapping it up, but there's clearly lots more to discover here. Roni, do you have any, uh, uh, final thoughts or things you want to add into the last few questions here, and then we'll have them give information to people that maybe, or have, you know, relatives or, or loved ones that are suffering from this, that they want to get more information. You can, uh, yeah, just a quick thought. I, I think, um, you know, in the brain computer interface space, uh, I, I've got a lot of background in it. Before I started Mango Surgical, we were uh, looking at robotics to implant deep brain stimulation with uh, groups like Cleveland Clinic and Vanderbilt. So I, I think there's a couple of camps. There's the really serious camps, uh, like I believe what Inner Cosmos is doing, uh, Precision Neuro. There's the some of the Elon Musk stuff, which might be a mix of like pop culture plus maybe some real work going on. It's hard to discern. But if you look at just the serious work, there's the deep invasive stuff, like you're putting meshes on the brain, electrodes deep into the brain. What I think is really amazing about intercosmos is they're not going, they're not having to do that deep surgery, right? It's, um, I think like uh, spatial computing, just accessing the brain through the retina is one portal. And I think what intercosmos is doing is introducing a new portal that's very small, uh, incredibly minimally invasive that allows for precision targeting. I think there's something... Uh, very profound about that, where right now we try to deal with, um, I would call it the malware in the human brain, right? That causes anxiety, depression, violence, psychotic behavior, sociopath, all these things. We we basically bombard the system with chemicals that have huge side effects all over the body and they don't always work, right? It's like the, the part of the issues we have in the world are like the the psychosis and issues of the human mind we've not been able to come to grips with. Now there's a there's a weird and interesting world we're coming to, and I think Intercosmos is is creating that, which uh, uh, Ted we could talk about in future broadcasts. This idea of like reprogramming portions of the brain, this precision targeting in the brain has immense benefit, but it also has this dark side to it uh, if it gets into the wrong hands. So I feel like, but you know, the same thing with like any kind of drug, right? You could do amazing things to help people, and it could be abused. But I think uh, Intercosmos opening up a door. Uh, that could change the the pathway of how we treat uh, neurologic disease. I mean, that's that to me is super super exciting. Um, and you know, just uh, I don't know if I have a question, but this is more of a thought for our our our, our viewers, yeah. listeners. And as we wrap yeah, up, Darren and and uh, Marone, if you want to give us some sort of final thoughts and where to learn more, if you're either suffering yourself or know someone that's suffering from this and would like to dive into this more, I think it's quite admirable. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so th thanks very much for hosting us. Uh, Darren, you're meeting these kinds of patients every day. If you can just add anything at all, and then I'll just speak of the status of the company and we'll wrap. But yeah, I'll finish there. Yeah, I think I really want to emphasize to the audience, uh, some already know because all of us have friends or family members who suffer from depression, but just the degree of debilitation with this illness. Uh, so oftentimes people are unable to work or if they do work they're not functioning at the level they would before it affects the relationships with their families uh, friends people that they love they will often socially isolate uh, 
they're amotivational, so don't want to get out of the house, don't want to do things, and their world just gets smaller and smaller, and it's an excruciating illness. Um, I love working with this population because it's so gratifying when you get them well. And one of the things I'm excited about with this device is, again, something we have a very strong sense is going to be highly efficacious that can be used in a lot of people who otherwise don't have access to care. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but think about uh, third world countries. Uh, they, have, they, they, have, they have power. This is something that we could do use to, to help uh, through NGOs and the like in other countries as well. So I'm just very excited about it and just really want to highlight just how devastating this illness is and how excited I am to be involved in something that may help this population. And with that, I want to hand it off to Marone so we can provide a little bit more information about the company for the listeners. And thank you again for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Darren. Your work at Harvard uh, inspired us early on and uh, very grateful you're on with us. Um, so actually, this is a good place to wrap because I mentioned this comment earlier about the spatial computing industry still struggling to find that killer app, that use case that is painful enough to drive a new uh, platform's adoption and pay for the actual cost of the device, that one, you know, that one use case. And this is really the culmination, as Darren explained, of you know, five, six years of deep thought around what is that use case for the next platform for brain computer interfaces. And we feel that the, the trade-off um, makes a lot of sense for a patient in that darkness to uh, get, you know, a little bit of bone shaved out, less, again, invasive than a cochlear implant, um, about the same amount of bone extracted as a nose job. So we think to change your life that profoundly from going from the darkness into the light we would uh, we believe this 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 can actually pay for for this platform, and then it is a platform as Roni mentioned. Uh, the various disorders like OCD, PTSD, um, anxiety are now coming out to be networkopathies, imbalances of brain networks that TMS is actually showing great efficacy for. So our device, being TMS to go, can then scale to those other disorders. Um, and it's, it's really, um, beautiful to think of a world where people can get out of that without side effects. And that's what we're, we're fully committed to doing. Uh, so you kind of asked where we are on our journey. Um, we raised $10.6 million last year. Uh, we're about 15 folks, about a third of us are, are doctors. Um, and, um, and now we're going into, um, our next round of financing. Um, and as we are. We started a clinical trial um, in humans. You know, one of the things that really separates, I think, BCI companies that are really uh, serious is that they're in humans already, and um, and and there are a number of them out there. Uh, like as Ronnie mentioned, Precision uh, embedded a few patients, and uh, Synchron embedded a few patients, and and others. Um, and so we're proud to be one of those that uh, that are actually helping patients today at WashU and Harvard MGH. Uh, these two institutions are now um, actively either recruiting patients or admitting patients, and uh, we have 12 months of human data coming out, um, and it's looking really promising. I'll leave it at that for now. Um, so that's pretty much where we're at. We're we're really grateful to be able to, to help with this with this really big use case that humanity I think needs, especially now after COVID, especially in, in weeks like this this week. Uh, to reflect on on how we can make people really give people 
balance, peace, and harmony. Um, so yeah, Great. that's chapter two. <laughs> it's good, and it's a good it's a good spot to to take a, a moment to pause and reflect. And and thank you both for for joining us, Roni. Thanks for your time today, Charlie. We'll see you back next week. Um, and uh, I think you know what you guys are doing with your company. And clearly, it's a small and pure entrepreneurial startup. You've raised a relatively modest amount of capital. You have a very small focused team working on solving a problem. And I think nothing kind of embodies the Israeli spirit since you come from that region yourself than what you're doing, trying to really solve a problem that's really needed in the world. You know, this isn't fluff. This is serious stuff that you're using all of that technology base that you've learned from all from your journey and probably others in your company's journey to accomplish something really important. And I think that's a very, very good positive way to close uh, this week's session of This Week in XR. Uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, I imagine you can um, just search for Intercosmos. You'll find more information on the web. Uh, if you have patients or relatives that uh, would like to learn more about the clinical trials and how to get involved, I imagine there's ways to learn about that too. So we'll post show notes up and feel free, by the way, uh, for Darren and Ron, share this with your network as well. If this kind of in-depth discussion is something you don't get that often and, and would like to you know put it out to different places other than our listeners, which tend to be sort of tech, gaming, entertainment, uh, you know, sort of all that stuff. This is a very positive and important part of our journey together in XR, and uh, we appreciate the time and energy. So that's uh, this uh, very special Friday the 13th episode of This Week in XR in very, very uh, unprecedented time. So thank you all for joining, and we'll see everybody next week for yet thank another Thank you so episode. much, Ted, and, and it's great to see you, Roni. Um, you're right. Spatial computing is a form of neurotechnology, and uh, it's nice to see these this tight group of people converging on that, and, and I'm grateful, uh, everyone. If anyone has any patient uh, folks that want uh, access to our clinical trials, you'll find them on our social, you'll find them on our website. Um, and uh, my heart goes out to, to all the folks in Israel that need it. And, uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining, and we'll see you next week.